Good afternoon, or whatever time it is for you. This is Van Shitty. I'm sitting here today with my good friend Joel Mongran, also known as JD Mongran. Yeah. Um, Mongran, yeah. A friend of mine that I've known since the very beginning of my acting career when I was doing short plays for local uh, youth festivals, uh, who's now found himself in a film that is doing phenomenally well on the festival circuit and for good reason and the award circuit for that matter it's called beans Mm -hmm. uh it's about it's a coming of age story set during the oka crisis of the what time period is it again i don't want to get it wrong it was 1990 it was 1990 um and it's a beautiful coming of age story of a young indigenous girl uh in a situation that is par over her head and he plays her father yeah uh over the course of the last few years uh joel has lived many lives and done many different things he's been incredibly active in the local and national theater community mm-hmm. and in the film industry and we're gonna cover a lot of different topics but uh before we get started how you doing man i'm doing well man wow that makes me actually sound like i got my shit figured out that's, that's really <laughs> yeah that's well, really nice yeah i try to start from that place you know that's oh, well thank you yeah build me up and let my let my, my De- deconstruct words knock it, me down yeah, yeah exactly deconstruct it ourselves yeah man you know the other day i was i was uh thinking of, of the show and i and i thought back to when i started watching hot ones you know have you ever seen hot ones where they eat yeah, the spicy yeah, wings. Yeah, the and spicy wings. And, the, yeah, and yeah. I, I remember going back and watching season one of that show and just being like, who the fuck are these guys? And it's like... It's just that's, guys. Maybe that's me. It's you. Maybe that's me right now. Who the I fuck wish I had hot wings. You know? I have, uh, we have some home brews. That's what we wow, got. These are got. delicious. They're not bad, right? The roommate made this and uh, it's called toilet water and it is far above that. But, well, I'll give it a. a it's got a. It's got there. its charm. You know, we like to have the kitschy charm about us. Um, <laughs> so the film, man, mm-hmm. it's it's had an incredible run. I mean, oh, yeah. you you guys were second or third place audience, second place audience choice at TIFF, right? Second place audience choice and, at and, TIFF, and, and we won Canadian at VIF. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won the Canadian Screenwriter Writers Award as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this it's been you went to Ber- Berlin Ale, crushing it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I do, oh yes, it, it won the, man, there's so many of these things, I can't even keep them all straight, but it won some Crystal Bear Award or oh, something uh, out there. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, they have different bear colors at that festival, <laughs> and I just want to, I want to point out that it it got second place audience choice, first place was the best picture winner this year, Nomadland. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's what, that's what we were up against, and I, I, I like, I'm so incredibly proud of this, this is this movie was the honor of my career, and I mean, it is a movie about yeah coming of age, uh, the women, the resilience of our our, our people, um, uh, matriarchal society that that the Mohawks are, which not many people really know. Yeah. Um, and I was a supporting role as dad, but it wasn't about you know what a normal movies where you watch your dad is the yeah you get to stand on the barricade yeah exactly i get to say fuck you fucking pigs and that was yeah that was a hell of a lot of fun though wow you get to be a real guy out there protecting this family and Mm -hmm. fighting for the right cause Mm -hmm. what i really like and it was yeah it was comically bad how evil and one-sided that that whole situation was yeah and it's real yeah and it actually happened i mean this these are all tracy gear who's the director writer Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all her personal experiences right yeah and that comes through and what i really loved about the film was that 
it weaved um, narrative uh, events with with footage from the real events so right. seamlessly. That was really cool. I mean, it, the effect directorially of putting you in that place mm -hmm. was very powerful. Yeah, and I remember watching it as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was ten years old, so I was I was actually about the age of of Beans the movie at the time. Right. Uh, when this was going on and I just remember being so confused because at that time I was still like uh, for those that have never seen me I'm, I'm white passing but I'm a First Nations man and uh, I, I often will audition for native parts which I'll never hear back on just because you know yeah. the way that I look and it is film and TV and honestly I would be pretty upset if I if uh, I saw someone that looked like me set in the 1800s playing a native guy, you know, who's the chief of his tribe riding riding on a horse somewhere or something. I'd be like, ah, really? Well, you have... They could uh, have done better. But you, I, honest to God, did actually look like her father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, her real-life father. Her real-life father, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, wow, okay. Maybe we should give some people uh, the backstory on, on the events, that the historical events. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Mohawks had land claims on all of these these, these areas and, and basically white guys coming in throughout history continue to take more and more and more and more uh, the mohawks had the land a treaty with the church basically or, or, or an agreement with the church if this was their land the church shipped this agreement off re-signed this thing shipped it back to the government um, and then they said okay well now it's null and void so we're just taking it anyway uh, and of course the mohawks never agreed to any of this so throughout the years, they kept on chipping away at this land and it got so bad. Like this is the tipping point was there was a nine hole golf course right next to the reserve that had been operating for years by this point. And they were successful and they wanted to expand. And they literally wanted to go into the native burial ground with mm -hmm. marked graves and everything and just take that all over because they said, well, we own it now and it's fine. And um, excuse me. Thank you, toilet water. Um, uh, and we want to make it into an 18-hole golf course. Like this is this is what I mean by comically bad, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it, it is a, a plot of a B movie of, of like you know these evil shitty yeah. like, white people coming. Ah, we're gonna take and build golf course. I mean, <laughs> the golf course over the indigenous burial ground is like from from a <laughs> literal horror movie. I think wasn't that a. Wasn't that like part of uh, The Shining? Was that the hotel was built on an indigenous? Oh yeah, around? well that's Stephen King and his fucking yeah. jerk off sessions. He always had over all native cultures. Like yeah, ugh. goddamn jerk off. Make a dream catcher. He literally made him. Uh, he wrote a short story that got turned into a shitty movie called Dreamcatcher. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, and even the the what was it? It it, it in the end they they had that little native a bag from that tribe or whatever it was that was or that those guys that were there and it trapped it for a little while oh yeah yeah like what the fuck was that man <laughs> I, yeah anyway Whoa. aliens and yeah there's some solace sorry <coughs> i just uh swallowed some beer wow beer. <laughs> throw the water throw the water, throw the water. um there's some solace in that at least in the case of the shining Mm -hmm. For all of his appropriation, Stephen King hated the adaptation. <laughs> so, then that's the best one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, yes. But as you were saying, it's mm -hmm. comically um, 
yeah. you know, it is it is like the caricature of the mustache twirling villain coming in, building yeah. a golf course over the sacred land of these people. Exactly, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you could almost hear the the piano music playing up little placards getting held up. Oh no, help me, help me. My land, you know, like, yeah, super stupid. The um, the Mohawks, of course, just had enough of this shit, and that was that was it. So they they launched a protest. Uh, they blocked off a road um, that was leading to the golf course, a small road, and uh, said, okay, well, no one's going to come in here and start tearing this stuff down. They basically stopped any type of construction that was going to go on. Um, the I may be getting some of the... Uh, chronological dates. Yeah, I mean, off, we're doing it off yeah, the cuff. So. Off the cuff, yeah. Uh, the, the police were called in. Um, the protests were starting to make some national news. Obviously, it wasn't it wasn't uh, the hugest story at that point because then you know it's a golf course road. Who the fuck yeah. cares? But uh, there was a cop that went in there, and he was. Um, they ended up getting into into a firefight with the the Mohawks, and a cop was shot and was killed. And so they pulled back, uh, the army came in. At this point, there was, there was um, two reserves. Another one got, got involved, so it is Ganesatage and Ganawage. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ganawage, they took over the Mercier Bridge in Montreal right. um, because they were afraid that the, the army was going to go into Ganesatage and just mow everybody down, right? Everyone was really freaked out at this time. Um, there was barricades set up all around the reserve. The Mohawks had stopped the highway there. And now there was a bridge that was being held. And uh, yeah, they, they Ganesatage um, stayed uh, or held out the longest. That's where they were. Ganawage ended up um, taking down the barriers eventually after after this went on for weeks. Um, right. And there was representatives from all tribes being sent, to, sent there to help out. Mm -hmm. um, and Canada knew that like every nation uh, across Canada was was uh standing with with the mohawks and to this day now you'll see the uh the mohawk flag flown everywhere right yeah the warrior flag which which is funny because they are actually a nation of peace it's been like people don't really like they think mohawk and badass and tough and yes they are but th their teachings are that they have to find a peaceful way to, mm. to exist to get through that's what that's their preferred way to do things so it was only when push came to shove and it was just, they went way too far. Historically, just continue. And now, especially, God, these stories that are happening now. Is that the red the red flag? Yeah, the red flag with the warrior and there's the yellow sun. Yes, yes, and I know that flag. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's flown everywhere and the world over. Like, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, in, in terms of any indigenous rights, people recognize that flag now. It's used everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Man, you know, what was really beautiful about the movie was that it, really seamlessly um, traversed that line between that historical event and this girl coming of age. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you see all of the things that, and I think that's important, right? Because when you watch it, it's relatable to everyone, no matter yeah. where you're from. You know, the awkwardness of adolescence and making friends that you're you're not sure if they're really your friends, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they, they have their own things that they're going through and so they're cruel and they're... Mm -hmm. And trying to find your place in the world and first experiences with, you know, sex and stuff. And it mm -hmm. really, it really goes to all of the places that you would um, want a, a, a normal coming of age story to go through. But then it also is couched in this 
thing that is so much bigger than any one yeah. person. And so you're, you're, yeah, you're forced to grow up really, really fast. Really fast. Trying yeah. to deal with just, yeah, just all of those normal, normal, the relationship that you should have, mm. all that awkwardness. And there's bombs going off around you and your family has no food. And, right. you know, and you're in Canada with this type of shit, you know, you don't think happens if you're, if yeah. you're, if you're non-Indigenous, you don't think this kind of shit happens looking at That's... what our country is. That's something, too, that I think is really sad and interesting, right, is that there are these sectioned off areas of Canada where the myth of Canada just does not apply. Yeah. You know, where they the people are without clean water and starved and they are they are on land that has been purposefully sequestered so that things cannot grow. Yeah. And, and even so, they're the lucky ones because at least they have a place. <laughs> yeah. And then they even, you know, for the longest time, we're making you give up your rights and just to have a normal life, quote unquote, and make a living. You know, that you in the world wars, you had to give up your rights to go and fight for Canada. Mm. And people did. They did. World War One. There was there was 5000 First Nation men that signed up to go and fight thinking that hey you know then they'll recognize us and right you know, and yeah and then did they <laughs> fuck no pegamonabo was world war one's most lethal sniper he was an indigenous sniper uh 300 and something confirmed kills um he came back and went right back to being you know a dirty indian you know he was respected and revered by in the trenches with his men but back home nothing he became a a leader of our, of our people mm -hmm. yeah but yeah he had to fight just to have basic rights they took away his rights to go and do all this that's that's tragic man mm -hmm. that is uh yeah but it is um it was amazing to go out to the reserves themselves out there and just see how yeah powerful could... amazing these these people are great like i uh, <laughs> uh i was absolutely floored i got to actually take part in this and again it's a it's a smaller part um yeah. you know i mean I've, I've watched it a bunch of times and i'm 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 so uh usually i just hate to watch myself yeah like I, I hate i don't even like to do interviews or anything like this so i'm just like because you're my friend and so i'm here well we're here um, just having a conversation just having friends. a conversation we yeah, might exactly. we might dip into your time in korea <laughs> we'll go we'll go everywhere you know oh. so be feel relaxed okay. you know okay cool yeah but i was uh Oh man, I, I don't know if I'll get to do anything like that again. I hope so, but yeah, God, I I really think um, like this should be included in some coursework or something. This this film, yeah, it's, it's that great. And and the footage again, what you're saying, the news footage, real, real. You can see how shockingly racist these people are. And I yeah. was shocked out there. While we were filming those scenes in the Mercier Bridge, we had like a bunch of Quebecois people driving by yelling, I fucking die, Mohawk, blah, blah, blah. Like it was... Like like in the 2010s? Like while, while you were shooting? While we were shooting this, yeah. In 20, they, they, 2018, 2019? Yeah, that level of uh, kind of unmasked racism still exists in the region. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, absolutely. Because we're, we're on... The Mercier Bridge is a double-laned uh, bridge, right? Like there's, a, yeah. there's two separate things. Four lanes, two, two going one way, two going the other way, and they're separated. Uh, and we, by this is a behind the scenes of the movie. Um, yeah, they wanted to film this, and they were just going to get a bridge anywhere to shoot some scenes on. 
Because shutting down a bridge costs millions of dollars. We didn't have that. Right, right, right. And that is, that's the bridge. That is the bridge, yeah. That's the actual bridge. And it just so happened that one of the producers of the film was a construction company. And they were slated for one weekend to uh, replace all the light fixtures on the Mercier. And so they had to shut down half of the bridge anyway. And so they they had 50% uh, traffic um, limited to the other two. So there was one in each direction. And we had the other half of the bridge. And so, you know, some people coming on the uh, south side of the bridge coming over saw us filming, saw the Mohawk flags and everything. Oh, man. And would just, yeah, they were just driving by yelling, screaming at us because it was slow, slow going for them. Where did, what do you think? So I imagine that the local people didn't have like that much of a personal stake in a golf course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so where does that sort of, because I think that if, if the archival footage wasn't there, I almost wouldn't have believed the naked hatred that you see depicted in the film. Where does that come from, do you think? Oh, man. Well, like, I mean... <laughs> the aggression of, of everyday people, you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's hundreds of years of oppression, man. I mean, and it's it's just continued. Like, there are, even even to this day, with, with the light of hundreds of bodies being found in residential schools now, which is yeah. just happening. I, mean, I grew up, every every indigenous person I think that I know has heard stories of people that went to those schools having to dig graves for their friends, right? Right. But nobody believes that shit. They, now with, they now, just don't believe it. They just were just like, nah, that's not real. Come on. But I mean, they were the ones that were doing it, right? The government was doing it in all levels. Yeah. The police aren't going to investigate because they're the ones that kidnapped the kids and put them there. You know, nobody, nobody gave a shit. They were just like outright in denial or they knew it was happening and didn't care. And uh, that outright hatred has just continued since the creation of Canada, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, and to a degree, like I had a guy say to me just the other day, at, uh, I have you know, a bunch of day jobs as an actor. One of them was this new guy I was training and we were, we were just mentioning it, having basic, basic bullshit conversations. And the topic of racism came up and he was like, yeah, racism ugh, seems important these days, huh? <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, oh no, fucking hell! Is I, I said no. It's been goddamn important to everyone that it's been happening to. It's just that nowadays enough white people finally give a shit. Yeah, and and what does that mean these days, or even important? You know? Yeah. But I mean, I guess what I mean is that systemic racism that exists. Uh, it's it always still is shocking to me when it erupts in into these personal like where somebody a white quebecer will see the mohawk flag even today and it'll trigger something in them where they'll need to yell out of their car you know oh yeah like what where is that like i the... think that there's i mean there's a uh an actual addiction from anger right from, yeah from hatred it makes you feel good to get angry at somebody and you feel like, yeah, yeah, fuck, I did my fucking thing and I got mad at somebody. Yeah, but like you think and like they don't want you or you, of course, there's different lineages, tribes and all communities. But I mean, indigenous people, like they don't want indigenous people to exist. Is that what it is? Oh, I'm, I'm positive that there's some people that absolutely wish that uh, the genocide was full and complete. And, you know, uh, yeah. that the liberals of the time didn't put us in residential schools and is it like that manifest destiny? Like, 
that feeling that the land, even though you were not from it, that it somehow was predestined to belong to you? God, you know, that, that has always just mystified me. Like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be ours, even though that these guys are all here. Fuck them. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't, I I just can't wrap my head around that. No, certainly not. No. I mean, God, you watch, uh. Didn't Avatar teach everyone by now? <laughs> yeah, I know, you know right? The blue yeah. people are the good guys. I thought James Cameron solved everything. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was it. That was supposed that was to be it. the end of it all. Indigenous issues satisfied. Oh, so, good. Well, you, I alluded to this earlier, but you have lived a life. Yeah. Um, and you were from Saskatchewan originally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in uh, Treaty 10 territory, up in Larange and Sandy Bay, Saskatchewan, which is you know, up in the north. Um, How close to the nearest major city? Uh, Larange is a, there's a two-hour drive straight south, and that'll get you to Prince Albert, and that, that's called the gateway to the north, because Prince Albert's about 35,000 people, and it has a hospital and you know, right. a library, sports center, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's like a, a proper-sized city. LaRange at that time had a medical clinic when I was I was there. Now it actually has a hospital. Mm-hmm. So people give birth and everything there. Like it's it's grown a little bit. Um, and also they just needed a point to bring people to. It's a little closer than going all the way to PA, halfway down the province. Right. Uh, yeah, I grew up there. I uh, didn't know my dad. Uh, yeah. Growing up in an indigenous family, looking white. My dad is actually a RCMP. Um, right. I met him later in my life, right? When did you meet him? When I was 12, I'll say. It's really funny. I remember the exact moment like it was yesterday. I remember everything I was wearing. And, uh, and you know, he came in, stepped out of his white minivan, and my sister was there. Um, and it was funny because in the span of from ages 10 to 12, uh, I went from being an only child to having five siblings suddenly, all half siblings. I got a half brother and sister on my mom's side that are, that are Native, and their father's Native. But you have like... Uh, he- half siblings that you met on your father's side yeah there's three of them there and they're white and you know blonde hair blue eyes <laughs> yeah. green eyes yeah did so he just uh had didn't care to know you until you were 12 years old or no it's uh the yeah it was from what i understand of my grandfather he was a religious dude <laughs> a very religious dude um and a racist there's no other way of, of putting that. He fought in World War II, and he, uh, my dad tells me stories about him and saying, oh, the only good Jap is this kind of Jap. Oh, yeah, the, so the the pro-internment camp. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely so. Except for one neighbor that he had that was a Japanese guy, the dude, and he's like, except for that guy, he's a good guy. Oh, yeah, for any, anybody that you know personally. Personally, yeah, yeah, exactly. I have that connection, too, and this guy's a good guy, and nah, but the rest of them... You know, that's, that's so funny. Um, my uh, ex-girlfriend, she was in uh, Mexico. Um, I don't want to get too specific, but she knew somebody who said, yeah, like, I have this friend... Uh, whatever uh, enrique and yeah he's gay but he's not like gay gay you know he just likes the tip not the not well the but rest. then he like, tried what? to make it he's like he's he's the fucker not the fucky you know <laughs> <laughs> right the way that they he's a top not a bottom okay like the I, way I they try to justify you know mm-hmm. having a friend that's of the group they hate so they can keep hating the group 
Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. That's okay. Okay. Well, we're going to like these guys now. We're going to be thinking those guys are okay, but the bottoms, yeah, fuck those. Guys. Yeah. 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 So the yeah, tops yeah. are fine, but not the bottoms. Yeah. And so Enrique is fine. Um, or, oh. yeah. Or in your grandfather's case, my Japanese neighbor is fine, but yeah. not the. That's yeah. so interesting, man. It I was, mean. yeah. So it was, it was after my, my grandfather had died. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically, uh, if he had found out that my father had a child out of wedlock, he would have disowned him. So, and, and my father disowned me as a, as a result of, he sent me money, you know, and God, I grew up poor. I remember like you could count my ribs and it was cold and fuck, we had uh, ice on the inside of our house. Um, but weirdly enough, those are some of the happiest memories I've had. Like, I don't mean to, cause I don't want to <laughs> do this like native trauma porn thing. You know, no, like, no, no, we, had, we had a hard life, but fuck. I wouldn't trade it, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you had good people in your life that you loved, and yeah. you, and and it, I almost there's something interesting. I mean, I I don't know, but there's that small town vibe, mm-hmm. right? I imagine. Um, I'm from a I like my family is from a small town in Romania, and when I go and visit the, you know, like they're from a a small city, but then my my grandparents are from like a real like rural village. Mm. like a mountain town you know oh, that wow. kind of... what's what which uh which city are they closest to yeah, it's called piatra nams which yeah. means the german rock and then there's a there's a bigger city north of that called yash which is one of the bigger cities in romania but the point is is there there is something about that environment where you know everybody in town yeah and you're all a family that yeah. i i've heard tell of i mean i've been a city boy my whole life here in vancouver but you know yeah no, there absolutely is. You, you at least know of them. Like, mm-hmm. like Larange, where I was growing up, had about twenty five hundred people. I'd say, mm-hmm. maybe maybe two thousand when I was there. But uh, yeah, like if you didn't know that person, you recognize that person. That's the thing. You could spot the tourists because they're just a new new face, right? And Tur- were there tourists in Larange? Larange, yeah, because it's a resort town slash a reserve. So mm. it's half and half. And in the summertime, the population would explode with a bunch of Americans coming up to do hunting and stuff like that, oh, right? Okay. They drive all the way up there and catch a moose. And like, even in junior high school, uh, I was in, I remember being 13 and there was this kid in my class and he was 15 and uh, he worked as a guide during the summertime, mm. right? And he would tell like fucked up stories though, because <laughs> he's this native kid and you take these guys out hunting guiding around the, the bush, their portage and stuff. And then it was like, oh man, I got a hundred bucks as American dudes. And I was like, oh, so jealous. You guys tipped them a hundred bucks. He's like, yeah, because they shot this moose and they want to take a photo of me kissing the moose. And, you know, oh my God. Yeah, like, and you, really... you kind of hear the, the sub, <laughs> subjugation or whatever. That yeah, is. yeah, right. Like, it's so fucked up. And But at the time, like, because yeah. you think things are so normal. Like I, I at that age, I was, I had so much internalized racism too. Right, like, like towards yourself? Oh, yeah. And my own family and everything, just because like society had taught me that me being white passing meant I was the good guy and these guys are the bad guys. So you like knew you were half white? Oh, yeah. Like there's no getting around that, obviously. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. And it, and, it, and the, it's a real mixy town anyway. Like, yeah. There was just, it was a third native, a third white, and a third mixed. Mm-hmm. That's what Larange is. And all the business owners, for the most part, were these white guys, right? Like yeah. Any other little northern town uh yeah so that's 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 where i grew up um more to your point yeah i yeah i guess i i got around after that i was 18 uh when i left home i did a year of volunteer work where uh, it's a program called katimovic oh i know about katimovic yeah you do yeah yeah okay so it wasn't it wasn't a year that's misleading it was it was uh nine months and you spent three months in each 
each location. And then uh, at the end of it all, they give you a thousand bucks, check yeah. for a thousand bucks if you can make the whole thing. Um, and while you're in it though, you, I made, it was $3 a day. And, uh, and then you had, you'd pool other money to get, you got $5 a day for food, which you pooled with your group or else you, there's no way you'd be able to buy food. Yeah. Um, and you had $3 spending money that you saved up. So I'd save up for weeks on end just so that I could go to the bar. Cause I was, when I did this program, I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was 20. <laughs> so I could go to the bar, but, uh, yeah, and have like two beers without tipping, and I'd you know explain to the waitress and be really apologetic. I'm so sorry, I make three dollars a day, and I'm so poor. And I'm this, gonna, is, this is all oh, I want to do. Yes, I just want to have two beer here and just like be away from people for a little bit. And please, please don't get mad at me. <laughs> and then they would be like, ah, stupid poor person. Yeah. And, uh, but it was it was overall a very cool experience, very positive. I met Justin Trudeau. <laughs> which you know is fucking laughable i know now but well, at the wait, time he was he was at the time he was just just some guy just right? some guy yeah he was just some guy and he showed up and he was shirtless like he fucking always was and uh <laughs> all the girls were fawning over his six-pack and we went well, he swimming was, and he would have just been in his 30s or whatever at the time too. early yeah he was in his mid-20s late right. 20s yeah, yeah, yeah just some guy right? just some fucking guy yeah. likes likes to get high and swim and... <laughs> yeah yeah Exactly. Show, off, show be... off his uh, First Nations tattoo. Say, hey, look at this. Do some push-ups. Yeah, my um, my friend uh, said that like when she met him, he had like really bad like smoker's breath. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. Yeah, he was. I wouldn't know, doubt it. Um, yeah, people have smoker's breath. Yeah, well, I mean, from smoking, right? Yeah. Uh, he was like, I'm on my smoking way. Smoking to... hot. Yeah, he's on his way to play play Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> holy shit! That like the, yeah, that would have been right around that time too, motherfucker. Oh, anyway, man. well, you know when you when you're Pierre Trudeau's son, they let you get away with anything. No, oh, I know you you could even make it to be the next prime minister. Um, uh, yeah. So in the end, uh, I got this thousand bucks. Yeah. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was just really floundering around. You know, mm -hmm. um, at that time, like I had been in a high school theater, um, and I always thought acting was cool. But uh, I wanted to travel and get out. And also, I was uh, still struggling with this with this identity crisis that I was not only wanting to do anything with my life, but who am I? You know, classic young man. Yeah, I mean, in a different way, I totally understand that because I am also like I am an immigrant. Mm. like first generation born in another country but completely passing yeah you know oh completely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah if you didn't tell me that you're an immigrant i would have just been like ah well i mean you are an immigrant yeah we're because we're all immigrants <laughs> yeah, except you, you know except for the people who are indigenous but yeah um yeah but completely passing you know and uh and that's a weird conundrum to be in because you kind of the dominant culture pressures you to to express only the parts of yourself that fit in with its rubric for what's normal mm. but it's very subtle you know mm -hmm. and if you can like you and i can there's a lot of guilt and shame and weird stuff to do with where you came from yeah oh completely man and it's been yeah and it's been an ongoing journey when it's just, i'd say the last five years have been the most transformative for me really um, oh yeah completely just finally finally finding that acceptance which i which which was always there but which i just kept on kind of pushing away i've known you for more than five years yeah yeah so at the, when i met you you were not in this place 
No, no. Uh, I was like, I mean, I was identifying as an indigenous man, but I was still like, like, uh, technically, but look at me, like, how can I be, you know, like I was still, I still struggle with that, that image of how I look, you know, like sometimes people think I'm, uh, maybe Latino. Yeah. I get Spanish or stuff like that a lot. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> honestly, I... my day is completely made when someone asks me if I speak English or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for just wondering. Do people do that conversation where they're just like, what are you? Oh God, yeah. Yeah. And really? I've gotten a lot better though at, at tackling that head on, you know, um, in, in the last few years too. Because they're always like, man, man, I always have to feel like I have to explain everything. Now I'm just like, nope, yeah, no, I'm indigenous and I'll just leave it at that. Right. Um, yeah, but oh yeah, so back when I finished this volunteer program, I got a thousand bucks. I got. I don't want to talk about my my adventurous days. No, no, no. I want. Um, I want to go through it all. So let's, <laughs> let's do it. We I got, got a time. thousand bucks, uh, which is the most money I ever had in my life, and this was in two thousand and one. They just they just gave you like what ten hundred dollar bills or a check or whatever. they gave us a check. Yeah, yeah. There yeah, yeah. you go, and however you wanted. I think they gave you options. But right, I, right, I got right. The but bucks. either way, you got it. Yeah. I got a thousand bucks. And I was like, great, I got to go back home. And I don't know what, like work at a fucking gas station, you know, Saskatchewan, Illinois, that's where all my family was and everything. I'm like, I was guessing, I don't know what to do. I was, and the internet was still in its semi-infancy then. So there was no video calling or anything like that, but emails were mm -hmm. happening. One of my friends was in Korea at the time and she was uh, teaching English out there. And she was like, oh man, listen, you'd have the best time out here because it was World Cup. Right, mm -hmm. and so she was telling me all these crazy stories of stuff. That I remember that. Around. I remember where I was then. I was really? Like, I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand one. It was nuts. It was, and so she, she was telling me all these stories of how great. I'm like, yeah, but I've never gone to university. You know, I've never <laughs> even audited a class. I don't know anything about teaching. And she's like, yeah, but you're funny and you're, you seem entertaining, and that's kind of like what all you need out here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? Hmm. You, and you speak. You speak English? I speak it. English? Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. So just on a fucking whim, um, she was she was like, hey, I know somebody here, this, this dude that she was hooking up with. Uh, <laughs> it turned out he had a fake degree. And so he put me in contact with these uh, this black market printing press place in Hong Kong. And so I contacted them. They were like, cool, yeah, we can make you a degree. Just so happens that it's going to cost you a thousand bucks for this and this. <laughs> all the money in the world that I had. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, totally. and I was like, okay, great. Uh, I'm in Saskatchewan. And they're like, we don't have the template for Saskatchewan. Do you want to go to Harvard? And I was like, <laughs> I was like fuck, fuck, no, I got to pull this off. Like, I'm a fucking idiot. Come on. And they're like, what do you have that's nearby in Canada? Like, oh, we have Alberta. And I was like, oh, University of Alberta. Absolutely. Like, what do you want your degree? And I'm like, English. Uh, let's just go for that. Okay, great. And so then I get this thing. Like, and oh yeah, so they make this, they make this stuff. They make these transcripts. I already got a job offer because I started contacting these people and they're like, can you send us this stuff? And I was like, okay, oh shit, you need it right away. And, and at that point, since I had sent this guy the money, I was broke. Yeah. So I was like, okay, the sooner I can get this job, the better. Absolutely. So I contacted them and said, just send it to these guys. Yeah. You know, these recruiter people, they got my stuff. And I'm like, also I'm thinking, well, I'm out a thousand bucks. If it turns out that it's total bullshit and they get this stuff, then what am I going to like? At least I'm in Canada where I'm safe. They can't fucking do anything. Right. So they get it and they were like, yeah, everything's great. Blah, blah, blah. We got a couple of job offers here. When can you get your ass down here? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Okay. I guess it's good. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll show up. So. But then you wouldn't have had money to get on the plane. No, they paid for the airplane. Oh, okay, airplane okay, okay. Yeah. So I had $400, I think, to my name 
and I didn't have a credit card. Like I had never, I, I was not a functional adult. No, no, no. <laughs> you, just, you were 21 or something. Uh, yeah, right? I'm a 21 year old idiot that just, you know, been just trying to get laid basically. Right. Up until that point and just thrilled whenever it was happening, you know, fucking hell. Sex. That's when that's what I where I was at twenty one. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think most of us like hormones are fucking crazy, man. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't very successful, but uh, no. you know, it was a, it was at the top of my mind. I applaud these people like like Bo Burnham and stuff that are can be young in their twenties and focused enough to do anything other than just try to get out and pick up some some woman at a bar somewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, I feel like my whole twenties was. Not that, but it was like meandering bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I just thought, and Korea is a good place to go and pick up some women, and maybe I could get laid. So I uh, <laughs> that's that, not really the impetus. <laughs> oh, a like, big part of it. I'm not gonna lie. Like they were just like, "Hey, look, you're gonna have a lot of success meeting women out here." And I was like, "Okay, okay, okay yeah, oh, okay. great. I could figure out who the fuck I am, and get away on the other side of the planet." You know, There's so a whole cute. bunch of birds I was killing with this dog. So you just did, you did, you were in La Ronge, then you did Katimovic, and yeah. then you're on a plane to South Korea. And I'm on a plane to South Korea. I lived in Saskatoon for a year after I'd moved away. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in, in there, um, between Katimovic and home. And then I uh, I get this job, I get to the airport. Um, funny enough, one of the guys at the recruiting office, because uh, it was a mutual friend of ours, his name was Marcus, of my friend who had put me in contact with this degree thing. Um, and we went to the same high school and he's like, Hey man, we actually went to the same high school. We know each other. You're younger than me. And I'm like, wow. Okay, great. So he meets my new boss and me at the airport. There's the three of us. And I go, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. And this guy, he had sent a photo of him and another dude. And I thought he was the other dude. <laughs> and now him and I are, are, he's like one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. And, right. uh, yeah. And it was just so weird that we'd never known each other in school, had a lot of mutual friends. And then we meet in Korea. And we hang out there, but yeah. So you, I, how long were you out there? Three years. It was supposed to be just be one. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I got to my school the next day. The boss took me to my apartment. Here's your stuff. I'll come pick you up in the morning. Takes me to school. Shows me the school. We're looking around all these little rooms, and I'm like, oh, okay. There's about six different rooms, six classrooms, and there's another foreign teacher there, and me. And she's like, oh hi, how nice to meet you. Blah blah blah. Okay. I go into the room, and uh, he's like, this is gonna be your main classroom. I was like, oh cool, okay. He's like, good. Okay, well, class starts in 15 minutes. Uh, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like School and, of Rock. Holy shit. Yeah, and that's, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. All right, so I pick up like this book that's laying in there. I'm like, this is the textbook? Great. These, and, little, these little kids come in. And you don't speak Korean. I don't speak Korean. No, and it's just a fucking shit show. I was at that show, for, uh, at that school for six months. Um, and within the first two days, I knew that this was not how to run a school. Like, I was like, this is not how you run a successful business. I don't know anything about running a business, but I know that this isn't it. And nothing was making sense. They, you could, they were hemorrhaging money, man. They were they, they just, <laughs> yeah, these poor kids. We had this kid come in and I would uh, interview every kid that came in that was going to come in. And I'd say, which class should they be in, right? The intermediate, the beginner. Mm -hmm. Kid comes in, born and raised in the U.S., Comes into this English hagwon because he's just, they just want to keep him speaking English. So he's totally fluent. It's, it's like you and I sitting here talking and this kid's like seven years old. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Oh, you know what? This is wild because we don't actually have any class that's advanced enough for you. Like yeah. our advanced class is basic conversation. 
So I go and tell the I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so really sorry. This guy's not gonna. And they're like, oh, the only time that he could that he could fit is this intermediate class. So we're gonna put him in there. And they, <laughs> they just wanted his money, so they took him in. They signed him up for these classes, which last a month and a half. Or so something. it's for profit. The whole oh, thing. all the way, all the way. These are just little money shakedowns. This poor kid comes in, and I'm like, hey, you're my new assistant. And yeah. now I have a translator. Great. So he's sitting there and just he just acted as my translator for a couple of, of weeks. I felt so bad for him. No, but I mean, at the same time, it's good for you, right? Oh, yeah. Because otherwise you wouldn't have had one. Oh, yeah. And uh, long story short, this school called me up on a Sunday, said, don't come in tomorrow. We're bankrupt. <laughs> I said, what about my pay? We're bankrupt. What about my apartment that they're paying for? And they're like, you have until the end of the week. You know, and I'm like, Okay. <laughs> Gotta fucking find a new job. So I called up those guys again, the recruiters with my friend that's there. They got me an interview Monday, the very next day. Mm-hmm. I started work on a Tuesday. And I felt for this dude there. They had this other school that I got to. Um, there was this one guy working there named David. I still remember him. And he was like talking to a like a wet piece of cardboard man. He was just like zero personality <laughs> dude from America. Hello, my name's David. Uh, yeah, I met a few of those what? guys. Okay. And, and he went to his class and, and apparently this guy had a, the school just had a 50% retention rate because you can go to the school, that's okay. Or you can go to another one and keep trying. So the kids would show up, half of them would leave, half of them would stay. And so they were floundering, just trying to find a way to keep this business afloat. I came in, met this dude and I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. I guess I'm the second teacher here. Show up on Tuesday and I'm like, okay, I'm going to my class now. And uh, I saw him in the staff room and he was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah, I got to get that class over in 3A or whatever it is. And he's like, oh, that's that's my classroom. I'm like, oh, well, they they just told me I got to I gotta go in there. And that's, uh-oh. So I go in there. I never saw him again. Oh, man. <laughs> 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 they fired that dude. And then I knew, like, oh, man, uh, this is... This is a job, and they're gonna fire me if I don't I don't deliver. And I did. I fucking delivered, man. I'm, yeah, because you were you ass on the fire, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I changed their curriculum up. They had me teaching for an hour at a time, and there were blocks of three days basically. And a, a Korean teacher would teach two days, mm-hmm. um, teach them all the grammar, and then I would have them for one day. And then on the next little slot, I would be in you know the number two slot, and the number so each yeah each time I'd be in a different one. I said, listen, why don't we just change it? I'll come and teach each of these classes for 17 minutes each day. Mm-hmm. So I'll teach three different classes and I'll just make it fun. So I went in there and I was just entertaining kids getting to use the English that they were learning that day in grammar uh, and having a blast. We went up to a 96% retention rate. I was hiring, ironically, the guy with no education, I was hiring other teachers, <laughs> you know. Uh, and and you, were, was, you were at this for three years. And you, three years. You three made years. bank, right? Oh, yeah. I, was, I made some mad money, which all went to booze pretty much. I was drunk five nights a week. I was blackout drunk once a week. like fully. I woke up on the wrong side of the country. <laughs> I, I woke up in traffic once on a highway. <laughs> I woke up falling off of a building, like a, like a five-story building, uh, falling over an alleyway onto the rooftop of a four-story building. Yeah, but you you got the guy who could barely afford two beers, no tip, was in the heaven, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. I could tip. I could tip, but the country didn't do tip, so that was nice, so, too. So, yeah, so you could have more beers. I had more beers. And it was it was a problem, dude. When I came back from Korea, cause I swear to God, those three years that there, I drank more in those three years than I did in the entirety of my life to this <laughs> date versus that, versus those three years. And 
I got back one time and I remember one night I went out and I had like 26 beer and I was like, okay, I guess it's nighttime. I'm going to go to bed. Like, <laughs> Wait, I, you had 26 beers like in a night? In a night. Yeah. Well, I was just hanging out over the course of about, I don't know, five, six hours. Like I was pounding them back. Just like, it was unreal. I didn't realize the tolerance. Could, then I realized, oh shit, that's a lot. I really should cut back. And now, like, I mean, I, I'm feeling this one toilet water thing that we just sipped on. Yeah, well, me too. Yeah. yeah. So you you cut back drastically. Drastic. Yeah. Uh, and people were worried that maybe, you know, because oh, I'd write about these stories. I started telling people. My dad honestly didn't believe me when I told him the drinking stories. He thought I was just, you know, yeah. creative soul coming up with these big yarns. And <laughs> I'm like, no, dad, I should have died that time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you, you had some crazy stories from Korea. I remember. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Some of them, I, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, man. I still, I'm, I'm just glad that he's sort of away. He can right. stay in the recesses of wherever he can. Well, I mean, it's good. You know, you were in another country. <laughs> different <laughs> rules. Yeah. God, uh, those, those, if, if I believed in glory days, I would classify those as glory days. But honestly, God, like now, yeah, weirdly enough, now is the happiest I've ever been. Well, that's, that's awesome. So did you go back to... The Saskatchewan right after? Or... Yeah, after Korea, because Korea started cracking down. I, I might have stayed a little longer, but basically they, they arrested a whole bunch of teachers with fake degrees because one guy turned over uh, this entire roster of people that he had recruited and 90 teachers were busted in one in one sitting. And then that made national news and everyone okay. was like, the people I knew to bribe in immigration ended up getting arrested because I found out through some other friends like, if you have any problems, you need to speak to this person in immigration. Give them 400 bucks and you'll be fine. And so those guys got arrested. Like everything started falling apart. And my renewal was coming up in two months. And they were like, hey, let's start that paperwork so we can mm. keep you here. And I said, you know what? I really miss Canada and my family. I think I got to go home. And so oh, that was the yeah. end, of my, end of my Korea excursion. But Marcus, my friend, the one I was talking yeah. about, he ended up in jail. Oh geez. <laughs> they they caught him one day because he he was one of these guys. And yeah, for how long, man? Oh man, he he was in, only in there for a month. Okay. But he was in this room that uh from his description was about the size of your house here, which I don't know how many square feet is the top floor. Uh I don't know. I'm not good at square footage. It's about I'll say about five hundred. Five hundred square feet, but there's yeah. thirty guys in that one room, two toilets in a corner. Uh and they take away his belt and you know his shoelaces and everything obviously. for a month for a month and there's not enough beds so he was like sleeping on the floor some nights he just wake up he's like yeah so i woke up one night and i was laying on the floor and i'm staring at this guy's butt so i turn over and there's another butt right there <laughs> it's just like mm. 30 guys in a room yeah what yeah immigration and you know they're and they actually have it hard too because these are guys that are like from all over the world working as as labor that have just overstayed yeah. their stuff and they're trying to support families in different countries Oh, Jesus and he's Christ. like, oh, well, the party's over. Yeah, we, the, yeah, the party. I cannot imagine, man. <laughs> so, okay. So you come home. I come um, home. When um, you when you end up out in BC? Oh, that was it. I had uh, I took my money. I traveled around the world for a year. Um, I met a girl in New Zealand. Uh, we kept in contact. And I was in, because I lived in New Zealand for six months. Uh, and then I went to Perth, Australia. And then I went to South Africa. And then I went to Scotland and I just, I had some crazy adventures in all of these places. Yeah. Um, we, we, so you we were just, we were just traveling for like a year. Yeah. 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 Just traveling, awesome. traveling for a year, uh, doing whatever odd jobs I could do while I was, while I was doing all that stuff. Um, 
yeah, again, a couple of times when I should have probably died or at least been mugged or something. You get you can get away with stuff when well, you're like, like what? six like, or three. Like you wanna talk you wanna talk about it because it's criminal criminal? <laughs> well, I mean I've already broken international law on this one. Yeah, yeah. Um Well but, I mean at this point. Nah, yeah, yeah, I'm no sure that I'm sure they have bigger fish to fry at this point. Yeah, yeah. No one's gonna no one's gonna care about me. Um, besides, I think there's some type of limit on how long ago that was. No Statute of limitations, right? Sure, yeah. as sure. As long as it's not a violent a, crime. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're not going to care. Um, no, I just I was just traveling around a lot, and like I, me- I remember sleeping in like some sheep shit in uh, New Zealand at one point when I was backpacking around. I didn't know they have more sheep than people there. Yeah, yeah. I just set up in a field and went to sleep, and it was minus two, and I was freezing to death. And then I got up in the morning, and I was surrounded by sheep, and I realized like. I had thought out a bunch of shit underneath the, the tent, and so I had to use my toothbrush and scrub it all off. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was in Africa and Johannesburg, and that was... Cra- like, speaking of racism, man, like... Yeah. That, yeah, that is cranked up. They, like... Those guys that just literally just wanted to kill these people and everything. It, was, it took me about three years after I got back from Africa to not instantly, like just hate any white South African person I met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the ones I met there were pretty shitty. Just like overtly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just those kind of like condescending, worse. like, oh, well, there's this black person that I know, but they're one of the good ones. You know, Oh, the of. same thing we keep talking yes. about, about the, how you can create the dissociation, right? Yeah. Like, my friend is fine. Yeah. Like, their whole, pe- and it's just like, what do you mean that you don't know like, they're, all any people are is just a collection of individuals. So most of them, if you got to know them, would just be like, that's my friend. That's okay. Yeah. Like, it's so absurd. Yeah, I might as well just talk about the human race and just be like, fuck. Yeah, fuck it. But actually, I'm kind of that way. I'm like, fuck the human race. Hey, but Mike, you're one of the good ones. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I do. I honestly feel that way, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I so. mean, yeah. Like, if you think about what we do, you know, and it's even before we became this horrible western civil colonial civilization not we but like before that became the dominant civilization human beings were still rocking up the continents and destroying all of the flora and fauna oh fuck yeah you know? oh you know like hanging out with the maori mm-hmm. down in new zealand some of the some of the best times i've ever had too and uh yeah i'm not one for stereotypes but i will say that the maori people can sing man yeah. Yeah, we'd go to karaoke bars and there'd just be every single one of them that got up there was just killing it. And they were so fun and it was and it was so amazing to see an indigenous group of people with their culture that's just so rich and alive. Yeah. Which is something that it, it broke my heart at the same time because you know, they did such a thorough job of destroying everything that they could hear. Right. Of our people's culture language like it was illegal to dance. Mm-hmm. during during uh the residential school times uh our languages were illegal any type of ceremony illegal yeah. to perform and when i went to new zealand i went into the national bank to open up the bank account and there's this maori guy behind the counter with a full-on half face tattoo and he's like oh welcome to national bank can i help you it's <laughs> <laughs> like holy shit this is wild this is the coolest thing so yeah. so in that context what do you think about like because of that period where dancing and all that stuff is illegal then when you were it's like 2021 and you see like white girls appropriating oh fuck them man yeah (laughs) just all of all of that right yeah they have zero zero understanding they just think hey this looks pretty and it's fucking cool yeah you know i i heard about like 
a girl like in the local acting community like running a dream catcher selling business you know just like a totally white girl oh okay well that's that's shitty then pretendian culture is another thing too that's really pretend fucking... you pretendian you say pretendian mm-hmm. yeah, instead of they're, right. they're not indians they're pretendians um right. you know all these people with these great grandmothers and fathers princesses and then they're yeah. like i'm indigenous now and i've never had any type of contact of or you know relations to this culture or this people or yeah. the language and the elizabeth warren here i am oh yeah yeah michelle yeah. latimer yes exactly you know yeah. and and it yeah it's infuriating too because there's legitimacy in saying hey i'm mixed race i have this ancestry that's there but yeah. it doesn't affect you doesn't and you benefit completely from white supremacy right you know and this is and then up until you you know dug this little bit of history out you completely benefited and continue to and always yeah. will uh so why is this suddenly becoming a dominant part of your culture like why why does this mean so much to you all of a sudden you can still be an ally without being a shitty human being please well i mean yeah so i think elizabeth warren actually got honored as like the the first indigenous professor at harvard university you're fucking joking <laughs> no i'm not oh my god no yeah yeah yeah. <sighs> yeah i might be getting that wrong but, but i'm that's actually real and that's that's yeah that's... well i mean but see that's a conundrum right is because she really did think that she had something in her ancestry, but then she got challenged to do a blood, a blood test and it was like not there. And yeah. then you deal with the whole blood thing, which is also like, that's such a colonial. Oh yeah, it is. It is absolutely this blood quantum thing. You know, like you, you gotta have a certain amount to go and work over this border and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay. Like yeah. there, there's also interesting uh, things that could happen too. Like there was a kid who's black who, was adopted by a tribe mm-hmm. from a baby and was raised in the culture. That guy's indigenous to me, but he entered uh, an indigenous basketball tournament and they were fighting him for a bit on that. Right. Before they finally relented and allowed him in, which is the right thing to do. I mean, this is his culture. These are the people that love him, that raised him. And there's like, and he loves it. Yeah. Okay. You know, the, world, the world's going to look at you and they're going to treat you as a black person. But it's not like they, they had blood tests as far back as we can remember like yeah it's, it's it's about the culture right and the way you were raised and the people that you're close to and yeah the question is you know do you do you benefit or not from the system as is because i know that like i'm not from here right like i am mm-hmm. i don't have my quote-unquote bloodline is not anglo-saxon or whatever like i don't have that but i certainly benefit because i just showed up here spoke perfect english with no accent and look white yeah and absolutely, I, I benefit as well. And I've yeah. learned to recognize that, um, you know, I, I got family and friends that security fucking hassles. Yeah. Never fucking bother with me. No, no, no. Yeah. Not even when you get a beard? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when I get a beard, when I grow my beard out and, uh, and I spend a little more time in the sun, the airports tend to check you a bit more. Right. But that is, they don't assume you're indigenous. They, yeah. Which it's, but it's all this xenophobic bullshit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and the, the 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 idea that the people who are most oppressed, like who have the hardest time already, are the biggest threats, when the statistics just don't bear that out. Mm. Like this, the, if you look at like suffering in the world, like it's it's the people who get away with the most that are committing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. 
there's a uh, different different tiers to our justice system. Yeah, for sure. As as evidence, yeah. Yeah, and anything reason. like you can look at uh, what was it? I was just reading up on the other day. Stand your ground laws in the, the states. Yeah, like that's fucked up, man. Like it, oh, of course it's fucked you can up. kill anyone if you're if you perceive them as a threat. Yeah, and it's your if, you're, if you have a legitimate reason to be not even just on your own property. Now. It's your like, prerogative. Yeah, right? it used to be a defend your castle doctrine, and now it's this whole like. Yeah, if I'm out and about and this guy came up to me and he was in his car and threatening me, and I don't know, so I shot him because he was he was going to kill me. And they had it was something like there's a 270 something percent uh, more likelihood of you being exonerated of shooting someone mm-hmm. if the if the person you shot was black. If you're a white person shooting someone who's black, versus if it's another white person, then yeah. they'll look at it more closely and they'll go, eh, "Was he really a threat?" I was. I don't think you were scared. Yeah, I was talking to to my last guest, Charlie, about that. Even like that, you have to have a certain amount of um, seniority in order to qualify to be a judge in the legal system. In Canada, here. In yeah, Canada and the states, right? Okay, like yeah. you have to, you know, have to have a certain amount of time practicing as a lawyer, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like whoever was able to be a lawyer twenty years ago or whatever, you know, gets to be a judge now, which means that courts are disproportionately crotchety conservative white men oh yeah presiding over them right yeah and they of course they're gonna you know they're gonna bring their beliefs and prejudices to the job yeah yeah you know these guys that are still in uh the police force and everything um i do some time um i'm doing reenactments and stuff with police and ambulance and paramedics Mm -hmm. and stuff as an actor and so yeah it's 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 been eye-opening man it's been eye-opening to see some of this this stuff that's going on um and talking with some of the guys that are these old guard people and there's there's still some of them that are this you can tell are these old crotchety conservative fucking thin blue line sort of folks and then there's other people and there's 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 more liberal people in there too that are up and coming but that change you're not gonna see for a long time man until that seniority is built up yeah um and yeah even if it can be changed. So that's a good segue, I think, into the Vancouver film industry. Ah, okay. Um, and the notion of bullshit and seniority and, <laughs> um, you know, and that what is valued versus what is uh, kind of pushed aside here. You know, I had a wonderful conversation the first guest I had, Raylan, about a couple of we talked about the body remembers when the world broke open, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, he was a really big fan of, you know, a, a local film that really gets to the heart of some serious issues and is really honest. Why do you think that shit is so rare that we have this pool of talent, all these great people working who are doing great indie stuff, usually off of a story hype grant or something like that, or even just over the weekend? Mm-hmm. Why are so few of those people being given the right opportunities, and yet the people who do get the opportunities and do get the awards are these crotchety old fucking white guys who've been around forever doing the same shit? <laughs> uh, man, just because the old fucking rules which apply everywhere, you know, who do you know, who do you like, who do you work with, mm-hmm. right? Nepotisms, fuck, it's, it's all still the same. Um, I don't think it's surprising at all. Yeah. To be honest, you know. No, it's certainly not. I mean, and there are also obstacles in place. I would love to do um, more indie film, but since I've become a union actor, it's just something that's it's a big hassle. 
Yeah. You know, until the rules open up even more for that kind of thing. Like you can't just you can't just jump on somebody's thing, you know, with three days notice and you're like, I'm not doing anything this weekend and I want to do something fun. Yeah, well you could talk about like run and gun, how you like wanted to do it, but you couldn't find a team because just because of the paperwork, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people are like, ah, you know, when I, and and to be fair too, there's also no shortage of talent that aren't union actors yeah. as well. You know, it's not like I became a union and suddenly I'm well, you're, more talented than I was before. You were non-union for the longest time. Yeah. And then you just had opportunities. That popped well, up. I, yeah, I basically had to join the union because I was in beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's what uh, did it all for me because I was like, okay, well, um, now I'm going to be paying like, I, and I, I kept on doing that working enough that i would just pay pay little fines but it adds up yeah where you work and i'd I'd reached that tipping point and i was like okay well i i have to or else it's gonna eat half my paycheck forever so right yeah and then the pandemic happened i have uh i you know i have my beefs with them for a lot of reasons um that maybe this isn't the episode to get fully fleshed into getting into it. But yeah, I think those restrictions on independent creators are just, there's this classism involved where I feel as though they're willing to bend the rules for Hallmark, Mm -hmm. but they're not for somebody who just wants to make something with their friends on the weekend. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause money Hallmark is a big industry in this town. Yeah. They pay for a lot of shit. They kept things going. Yeah, all throughout the pandemic. Um, I know, I know. And then they've solved racism. And they've solved. They've it. solved racism now. They finally put some black people in their movie as leads, and uh, and so now it's over. No complaints. I mean, that's kind of a weird tipping hat thing too, because everybody with a brain knows that Hallmark functions in order to placate Trump voters in the Midwest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yes. I mean, it's it's well, I, <laughs> Trump voters or just conservative people or just. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've met a, I've met a few folks when I was in Alberta doing some theater as well that were billeting with some folks and they were big uh, Hallmark lovers. Right. Um, but yeah, definite definite conservatives, heavy conservatives, and it's because it just keeps painting this bullshit world where everything is white or white culture with uh, a paint job. Yeah. So it seems a little kind of disingenuous, I would say, like it to make those films that are more diverse when you know that that's not I and mean, we know everybody knows that's not what their market wants no it's like we're, we're gonna take a hit for our yearly budget in order to do this thing so that if anybody comes at us again we can be like no we made that yeah exactly well that's the, that's the entirety of it. yeah absolutely we got our, our little trophy film out there yeah yeah and then so i i just i kind of like i don't know i find it all very disingenuous like the whole I'm going to be your first this or that or whatever. It's like, as long as we don't sort of tackle the, the kind of underlying incentive structures, like there's a financial incentive to be racist. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Like when my friend got told by the company that produces Hallmark movies that they don't want to see interracial couples in the background before they had this big upheaval or whatever, (laughs) you know, I don't believe that like this Vancouver producer necessarily wants that personally the way that the vicious racists uh on the bridge want that their hatred to exist in the world that person's just greedy Hmm. right they know what their market wants and it's like you have to make 
um, choices, like real choices to combat that. Because the market is not going to, it, it is just going to give people what they want. You know? Yeah, that's absolutely it. I mean, capitalism in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, and sometimes, then that's the thing, right? This is the market will just give people what they want, and sometimes that's not good, you mm -hmm. know? Sometimes that means... It absolutely, yeah. A new shitty iPhone every year that's the same phone as the one before, and, and more destruction of the environment to produce yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, we, we there and that's where regulation is necessary, right? Like, you have to have these laws where you companies have to make things that are built to last at least 10 years. Like, those are starting to be pushed from the right to repair, stuff like yeah. that, you know? Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, like, what am I supposed to say? Like, Hallmark, as soon as whatever trend or whatever pressure publicly blows over, they'll go back to doing the thing that makes them money. And it's just like, yeah, the thing is, I don't know, in my opinion, they they shouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't exist. I mean, I can agree to a point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I just it, it, all this this whole thing too. It just reminds me of like this is hot right now, and I was I was chatting with my. Uh, it, it circles back to the beginning, right? That yeah. the guy at the workplace of yours that was like racism is a thing right now. It's a thing right now, and exactly. And I really like it's always been a thing, but it's important or it's visible. Like people who actually care about it give two shits at the moment, and that's the thing is that I really want to disagree with him and be angry about it, but the, also there's some truth to it because. Will people continue to care? Well, more importantly, will, will enough white people continue to care about this going forward? Um, I mean, that remains to be seen. It has it has changed, like historically, things are always getting pr progress. It's marching on, not as fast as we would like to, but it is, uh, yeah. it's finally reached a tipping point where we're at this stage now, where, you know, all of those assholes that did, you know, uh, build the residential schools, they're dead now, so now we can't get mad at grandpa yeah, and or, so let's find these bodies and let's be mad at Grandpa now that he's dead and we can't hold him accountable. Yeah, or there's Grandpa who's around, but they're still not going out there. Yeah, you were like you were talking about the statute of limitations with your documentation or whatever. Yeah. Like, it seems like they're treating it as if there's a statute of limitations now, where it's not worth going after like a seventy or eighty year old. I don't right? They're like, oh, he's already lived a life. Yeah, like, no, fucking throw him in jail. Throw throw Trump in jail too. Yeah, you know? like I mean, just because uh, they're old, don't mean that the, Harvey Weinstein's in jail. I hope he dies in there. Oh yeah, Cosby, absolutely. Yeah, Cosby, you know? let them fucking live out the last little bits of their life in a little tiny room. Well, from what I can tell, you know, we I've been I think we've all been sold this lie our entire lives that people like me who have more privilege were more capable of believing that if you vote for the right person things will get better mm. but no it seems like the only time things have ever gotten better is when there was a movement of people who protested yeah like every bit of progress that we have in society has because there there is because there is enough of a movement because there's enough social pressure to actually institute yeah. that change Right? Never. There's, it's never. Those guys don't want to do anything. No, they don't want to do anything. No, it's never. It's never. It's never. There's never enough progressives inside of a government to actually institute change. It's when the rest of those fucking wishy-washy, spineless little dicks that are sitting in there have enough of the people that they're representing banging on their doors and windows yeah. and calling them all the time saying, we want this. Then they go, okay. Because that's that's what I've realized, too, is that those people, right, they're terrified of being embarrassed. 
mm-hmm. of their reputations at stake or whatever. Especially yeah. the ones that pose as liberals, you know. Yeah. I mean, the the ones that are conservatives, they pride themselves on being like, I don't fucking care. I'll be openly racist and you know whatever. Yeah. Cake, you know whatever is on the softer side of KKK at this point. Yeah. But the liberals, they still want to seem like they're the good guys. So you can really embarrass them into doing things. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way anything gets done. Yeah, exactly. Embarrassment, pressure. Yeah. That works. That's the yeah. thing is that, uh, I mean, I go to go to protests and everything all the time because I know that they work eventually. Like it's and it, it, it's not like it works in that exact moment, but it's these big shifts. Oka, when that happened, yeah. if it was just that little golf course thing, it was barely a blip. It was making a little bit of news because the Mohawks were... Now it, it's it's a worldwide movement for indigenous people. That flag is flown everywhere. Right. And it's because the people came together. There was a, some sort of breaking point, right, where they decided that this this is our line and, yeah. and all the uh, the tribes are going to come together. Right and support these people when that when that happened uh i know that there was talk within the ranks too like they had indigenous um officers uh in, in across canada who would have left you know would have left the force because they're all it's already weird you're indigenous in a police force right um but whatever however far they were willing to bend to do that and do that job and be in there and um they weren't willing to go that far there was people that were going to dissent there also, like tribes everywhere, there was, I forget which chief it was, but he said, you can't have a police officer guarding every telephone pole in this country. We could take down the grid, you know, the power grid at the time. Like, they were like, you cannot go in there and start massacring a bunch of natives because the yeah. army was all lined up too. And they were just waiting for the order, but it never happened. So there's hope at least in like civil disobedience. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's the way that the film kind of has a happy ending right i mean yeah i mean it actually worked out yeah which is crazy right they actually won uh that that burial ground is still there they've stopped uh taking away all of all the land that belongs to them now um yeah yeah and i'm you know what's crazy too is that when that happened there were still residential schools operating (laughs) yeah i know right another six years before that stopped 1996 was the last one Mm -hmm. was Mm. that was in was that in saskatchewan Raylan, honestly, I can't remember. I, well, I wouldn't be yeah, surprised though. Cause... Raylan, my first guest, said that most of the ones that closed later were in Saskatchewan. Mm. Yeah. He's from there, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. It's a good place. It's There's some beautiful people, too. Oh, um, no doubt, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's undoubtedly more conservative and everything. The further south of the province you get. but uh, Northern, yeah. Northern is actually pretty liberal? uh yeah i would say there's there's a bunch of ndp support up there if you're if you're looking at a federal sort of role but um yeah just the closer you get to the tumor the tumor the states oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you know the more the more it spreads and yeah oh my god i have have a full belief that like in 50 years man like that border Mm-hmm. Um, is gonna be jam packed because of climate shift and stuff. Like, yeah, people are gonna be moving up because it's just getting unbearably hot down there. They're gonna be hitting North Dakota and all in Montana. Yeah, I took a road trip through that area before. And I gotta say, like, the people are fucking cool. The people are great. I love it, Midwestern the, people. They yeah. have that wild hospitality. They. It's a shame that they all vote fucking red, but um, it's 
Yeah, but it's misinformation. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely misinformation. Like on a, like we were saying about the personal person to person level. Yeah. You can have those connections and people are nice and they're actually really kind to you on the person to person level. Yeah. Uh, and then, then they both, they'll just be like, oh, some fucking libtard, blah, blah, blah. They all yeah, say. Yeah. But it's like, man, I mean, what are you supposed to say, right? When neither side wants to give them health care. <laughs> yeah. That is so messed up, too, because the Democrats down there are more right wing than our conservatives, I think. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, with the exception of like a couple of dudes like Bernie AOC and, you know, the quote unquote radicals, which are just sort of standard left here. Yeah. Barely NDP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But really, like, honestly, like it's like there you can't even talk about universal health care. And here it's been a thing. Well, I mean, not truly universal. Mm-hmm. Oh, we yeah. Don't, we don't have dental care. Dental eye. eye. Yeah. Come on. But but any talk of having just we what we have down there is like oh no that'll never work here. It's like well, no, but why not? Yeah, why, yeah. Not? why won't gun control work? Because it's literally worked in every in every Western nation that has yeah. ever implemented gun control. It's surprisingly yeah. less people die. Right, but that's the thing is, I mean, if you look at the polls down there, right? I mean, it it most Republicans want Medicare for all. Most Democrats do. Independents, yeah. most of them do. It's actually not as divided as you think, but there is the these lines right where people don't feel like they can trust anyone mm-hmm. and i think that part of the reason that that dumbass got elected actually the guy who's currently there i think is a dumbass too mm-hmm. um they have a lot more in common than people would think but anyway the last dumbass <laughs> um is because people were angry at the establishment right and they were like this fucking guy just wants to burn it all down and i kind of oh, want to completely too. yeah and then yeah. they were like, oh shit no he's just reinforcing the things that benefit him That's yeah all that exactly it was. he right. didn't want to burn anything down no 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 he didn't he was not a radical at all he was just posing as one. i mean right? he wanted to yeah he wanted to to burn down all of the safeguards to prevent fucking assholes like him from succeeding yeah more. yeah and lower their taxes some more yeah but I mean, but and but here we have fucking assholes too, you know. Oh, absolutely, we do, man. Come on, this this. We got our, what year are we in? Like, how long has the nepotism hire been prime minister? <laughs> oh fuck, I don't even know. And he would win. He would win majority right now too, just because uh, yeah. the uh, uh, because the pandemic is going relatively okay, relatively okay. You know, and that's the thing, though, right? Is like you can't at this point you can't tell people like, hey, it's going to be okay if you just vote, right? No, you gotta go out there. You gotta get, get out there, and make the, noise, the take to the streets. Yeah, absolutely. No matter your age, you know, just push for the change that you want in society. Yeah. Keep the progress pressure on, and you can never let up, man. No, never. Yeah, no. You got yeah. yeah. Even if it takes generations. Yeah, and and there's a lot of work to do, even just right here in this city. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's. Tent City uh, on the downtown east side needs help always. Yeah, always. It's just being shifted around. It's a little shuffle game. Yeah, they're the, setting up in Crab Park right now. I think. Yeah, they're back there. Uh, old growth. I mean, there's so my friend right now is up there, protesting the old growth. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just it. And there's and also, don't be discouraged that you can't solve all the problems. Solving, you know, just try and concentrate on a few. Yeah, if you can be some change. Yeah, I think that else you'll burn yourself out. Just like, yeah, you let it affect you too much. Like me, this last week, I just couldn't do and do anything anymore. And that's okay. Take a breather. Take a breather. Well, I mean, to be reminded viscerally of the genocide of your own people is quite <laughs> quite a uh, a burden to take on. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, um, I can't imagine, and and I think the fact I think 
that I just think about how we know so much about the Holocaust and we know so little about the indigenous genocide. I mean, and I mean, both, both are horrible tragedies. And it depends on who you ask. Yeah. We know very little. Um, Uh, Of course it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's evident as long as if you can just look at facts, you can understand like how absolutely one-sided this whole thing was. No, yeah. And there's, and there's always these apologists and these guys that want to explain it away as if it somehow makes it all okay. And they'll be like, ah, oh, the bodies, whatever, they're probably from uh, 1918 or something like that. And Spanish flu killed them all. And it's like, as if that makes it all okay. As if that makes yeah. it okay that the police were kidnapping kids and taking them away. It doesn't, no. I mean, Anne Frank died of tuberculosis, technically. Yeah. You know, like, or, uh, I don't, it, it, I don't want to get that wrong, but it was, a, it was a respiratory, uh, infection in the camps. Does that mean that she didn't die in a concentration camp? Yeah, like, right? It doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Nail on the head there, Mike. Right on. Um, yeah. So it is, it, it, it is incredibly devastating to actually find, uh, that kind of, that kind of evidence just brought to light. Um, because again, these aren't these aren't stories, and so I understand why some people were hearing about residential schools till to this day for the first time, yeah. which is incredible to me. Even mm-hmm. something as basic as that, and then they hear about the facts of them, and they go, "How could that happen? That's not real. You guys are making that up. How could?" Because it's so horrifying to know that the laws were made to outlaw everything about this culture, about multiple nations across the land. Yeah, you know. Where they and they were successful. They were successful. There are there are pieces of our of our history which we'll never be able to reclaim. Mm. There are things that ceremonies that are completely gone. They killed them all. They killed all records of them. Uh, there was so many um, indigenous peoples who were rights were destroyed because of very very convenient fires. My my mushroom is one of them. He was not recognized as a indigenous man. He went to residential school. He they took his language. They took his culture. They took his birthright because his birth records were burnt in a church fire on on accident, like so many. Yeah, fuck me, man. Well, (laughs) (laughs) on that note, is that it? No, no, that's not it. No, um, no, what I wanted to say was, well, that is, there is nothing that can be said to address that properly. Hmm. You know, I mean, what can you say? The world and this this history of the West or whatever, like, it's so difficult to reckon at this point with living in a Western country, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, you know, I think back to what was the mindset when they came over here? Because the story that gets implanted in uh, our heads as white people mm-hmm. is like, you know, they, they presented like these people were, nothing was going on. They were an underdeveloped culture of savages or whatever they, yeah. and we came and tamed land. And, yeah. Tamed the land and enlightened these people and made everything great. You know, it's like, yeah, the only reason why we have internet is because of white people. Like, is that really what you think? Like, yeah. Is that really, yeah. Is that really, yeah and and it's like what yeah why do you think that that's an inherent good (laughs) you know we're living in a time when when everything we do is destroying the biome yeah you know why 
And it's happening at a like, I mean, if if you can, if you're capable, oh, this is something that bothers me so much. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I truly believed that, um, you know, the people in charge had shit figured out. Yeah, right. So there were some smart people, you know, like there was things were in place for reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older, it disturbs me to think because I'm, I'm much more comfortable being that, you know, 20 year old idiot trying to get laid and not being able to see beyond his dick, basically. Yeah. Um, At least that's a pretty far reach. (laughs) (laughs) High fives. All right. All right. right. Um, But now as I've gotten older, I've realized, shit, the guys that are in power are probably more dumb than I am. Oh, 100%, dude. And it's killing me to know that, to actually understand (laughs) that type of shit. You know, like, yeah, do you, you, most of them get into those schools because their parents went there. Oh my god! Right? They don't. They like the the quote unquote legitimate way to get a degree in a lot of cases is no more legitimate than the thousand bucks you paid. Oh yeah, exactly. You know what? I mean, uh, there's a lot of ways I think I was smarter than most because for most people, university is what like four years, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of bucks. For me, it was four hours and a thousand. Like I mean, I <laughs> kind of gained that system. Yeah, at least you had the chance to gain a system, and yeah. and honestly, that opened that opened the door to a whole world for you. Right? Yeah, it was actually very humbling too because then I. I realized uh, there was there was a big turning point when I was getting ready to leave. Uh, I remember because I was two and a half years at my second school. Yeah. Six months at the first one. Two and a half years at my second school. And as I was leaving, um, I had this kid come up to me and he was saying, hey, Joel teacher. Joel teacher. Joel teacher. They'll call me Joel teacher. Joel teacher, you're going to be leaving. And I said, yeah, I'm going back to Canada. Like, oh, no. Okay, well, I will miss you. You were, you were a good teacher. And I said, thank you. So, and then I remembered, fuck, I taught that kid his ABCs. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. There is like, yeah. And there, you just keep at it long enough. And you can actually have change. And you can change. And God, I got there. And I remember that time at immigration after the two weeks landing in the country too and showing up at immigration. This is the first time I ever saw my degree and, and papers. Mm-hmm. And we went into the office and uh, there was, they had a, like a little jail cell set up in the back too, in case like, cause this is immigration. That's what they got to do. They shut um, the people through. And I go up to the desk. Finally, I'm waiting for my number and I go up to the person, my boss is in the, in the lobby waiting for me. And I was there for an hour and I go see this person like, Oh, hello, hello. Uh, where's your passport? So I give him my hand over my passport. I'm like, Oh God, here it all is. And he's like, I got your paperwork here. I got your degree. I got your thing. And he opens it up. He looks at it and all that it was then was just that. It's just like, he looks at it. Yeah, that's a degree. Stamp, stamp, stamp. All right, here's your stuff. Welcome to Korea. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I, I was just trying to play a so cool big sigh yeah. internally. Like, oh, thank God. And then I still didn't get to look at this. I got in the car with my boss and I'm still playing it cool. It wasn't until he dropped me off at the apartment. I finally opened this up and got a look at my degree. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. It was, it literally said bachelors of English. Like not English lit or anything. <laughs> bachelors of English, right across the front of the University of Alberta. I looked at the at the paperwork and and they had all of my my grades. I asked for a three point two GPA, right. which they did give me. But every semester I had A A A A A A A. Next semester B minus B minus B minus B minus B minus. Next semester A minus A minus B minus B minus. Like all across, like the same cursory glance. Yeah, like the exact same grade in all of my by semester. And I got an A plus in racquetball, which is very <laughs> important, I think. 
but you're getting your degree in English. It's <laughs> a whole course. It's a whole course in racquetball. In yeah. racquetball, I mean, like it was, it was astoundingly bad, and I'm just glad that that's all that they ever did was just give it a little glance. Because then, when I was leaving, they started doing background checks on people and everything too, and I couldn't, I couldn't pull off that con again. No, but no, was, not nowadays. Yeah, it was wild when I did it. That's amazing. Yeah, I changed as much as as they as that immigration system did. I think <laughs> from being absolutely shitty and just vapid. And, well, a cursory glance at everything and saying, "Sure, you got to you got to do the work. You got to investigate things. You know, fact check." But isn't it that absurd comedy of life that kind of gets you through, though? <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, remembering the the shit you got away with. Oh, the, completely, man. Like I, yeah, the drunk nights in South Korea. Uh, yeah, I, uh, man, I will, I, I fully admit that I would have been canceled. So much. I was such a cringy dude. Oh, I was a cringy dude. I am a cringy dude. Uh, dude, did you, like, wasn't there a thing, like, where you, like, jumped from building to building? Or... That was that night that I was drunk, yeah. And I, I don't even, oh, it was this big thing. I got in a fight with one of my friends. I punched him in the face because he, he, asked, he asked me to. He asked me. He literally said, punch me in the face. I'm too drunk. So I did. Just to wake him up, or just to sober him up and stuff, yeah. And then, and then people thought, and then we got another fight. Absolutely, I, I, I don't think that works. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're dealing with a guy named T Bone, you his know, name is your friend was named T Bone. Yeah, T Bone, and uh, that's just that's that's what you got to do. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I came out of that that drunk. I was sweaty and out of breath, and I was just crashing into the rooftop. And I realized like I had jumped off of this thing, and I woke up. <laughs> I woke up on it like a booth. Oh, you know, like I'm winded and I'm like out of breath. Um, and I'm dirty and I'm sweaty. And I'm like, wow, who am I running from? For one thing, what the fuck? Why am I so out of breath? Like, and I'm dripping sweat and I get, and I'm so drunk and adrenaline kicked in. It was one of those bizarre feelings of my life because my brain was actually working. Yeah. There was enough adrenaline in my system, my brain, but my body was just this still ragdoll mode. And I was like having trouble standing up because I was so drunk. Nothing was working properly, but I was able to consciously think, oh God, like this is, this is a mess. I'm so fucking numb. Oh my God. Like what is happening? Why am I out of breath? What's happening? And I managed to get to my feet, realize I'd come from across that distance. And I'm like, well, how high up am I? And I get to this little parapet on the edge of a little uh, small wall, you know, and I pull myself up on it and I look down and I'm like, holy fuck. Like that is a straight Straight drop. Four shot, four floors down. So then I, I crawl along the edge of this wall and basically there's a, it's three edges mm-hmm. with no fire escape, no way to get down on the, uh, on the far side is a, another wall. And there's a tiny little door like Alice in Wonderland, like the size of your yeah, closet, closet height, half of it, like yeah. half of the closet height. Yeah. And there's a little doorknob. So I, I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I <laughs> open up this little thing and you have to crawl into it. I open and I look inside and it's just pitch black. And I'm like, okay, well, someone has a little storage thing up mm-hmm. here so i'm like what is this what the fuck is this thing no that's not it so then i like again i go along the wall i'm like i must there has to be a way down like fire regulation it's korea man like who the fuck knows so i'm going around this wall like nope i'm gonna die i'm gonna <laughs> die on a rooftop i guess i'll look inside this fucking closet so i open up this little door again and i start crawling inside and, and i realize i bump into this thing and i'm like oh it's a desk leg like i because i'm working in a school so i obviously recognize desk legs and I'm like, that's a desk leg. And then another desk leg. And I'm, I'm, so I start moving forward. I'm crawling under desks in pitch black. And then it suddenly drops down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, what's what's this? And then I reach over a little further more. It drops down again. And then it drops down again. I realize, 
These are stairs and it's full. In the stairs, like the angled area is still full of desks all stacked on each other. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I'm literally crawling under desks again, downstairs on my belly, which is fine because I probably couldn't walk anyway. Yeah, so that's yeah. the way you would have wanted to traverse yeah. anyway. And so someone had filled this stairwell with desks. That's <laughs> this weird this weird thing that I've come to realize. And I'm like, oh my God. I, I did try to make some phone calls before that, but it was three in the morning and people were yeah. like, and my friend Tebow, and at that point, that's another story, was in the back of a police cruiser. He asked, he answered the phone and said, where, where are you? Where am I? I've been to three police stations. Ah. <laughs> they took the photo away and I was like, well, he's no help. So I was like, yeah, he's, good, good he's luck having, to him. I don't know what's he's happening. He's having his own night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He had to leave the country the next day, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> And so I'm crawling down these stairs, bloop, bloop, bloop. And uh, I felt like I'm getting tired. I remember because I went down one full flight. Yeah. Got to a flat spot, still desks. Going down another one. And I'm like, well, it's got to go somewhere. So I, I went down another flight and then the desks stopped. So there was full two ways up to this other thing. And so I'm, I'm down, I'm down a full flight, two flights, whatever it is, two floors. And uh, I managed to stand up and then I blacked out again. Like when finally the adrenaline <laughs> sort of stopped. And I woke up and I was sitting on a, a, a desk in a classroom somewhere in that school. I don't know. Because then I was like, and then I realized, oh, like when I came to again, oh, I'm in a school. Like everything sort of made sense. Then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. Me being a you teacher. You ended, ended up in a school. a school. Yeah. And I'm just sitting and I had to piss so bad. That's why I woke up. Like I had seconds to go and I was like, oh, and I just like, I'm never going to fuck. So I just pissed in the middle of this classroom. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god. So the next morning, someone walks into their classroom just rigs a piss, you know? And so I peed in this classroom. I felt bad about it, but I'm like, I have no idea. It was either pee my pants or pee there. So I just pissed <laughs> in the floor in the classroom, which is so bad. And then, like, like I was leaning on the wall. I was so drunk. I slept to use the wall as support. And I and I managed to find the front door. And, of course, it's, like, locked. And, like, oh, God. But then I realized I got, it's just those little switch locks. Yeah, yeah, the top. The, the top and bottom, yeah. So I was like, oh, thank God. But then I opened the door and the alarm goes off. Yeah. And so the alarm's going. And I'm, like, oh, and I'm like, just stumbling drunkenly away as fast as I can from this dark school. And I got to the street. I managed to take a taxi. Because <laughs> they find a teacher in the school. <laughs> Drunken fucking foreigner. Yeah. Oh, foreigners yeah. are bad news. That's that's, that's, that's a big like, lesson, you know, coming into these countries and messing them up. Leave the people alone. Absolutely. Um, so I caught a cab. And I remember the weird, the really, like, again, I don't know what happened that night. Because we were in an area of the city called Hongdae. Mm -hmm. And usually that would have cost me about... 45, 50,000 won to get home. Yeah. Which is like, like 45, 50 bucks at that time. I don't know what it would translate to now. So um, to get home in a, in a taxi cab, which was, you know, and in Korean money, that's a lot of money. That's more or less like a hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. You know, the equivalent of. So uh, I, my cab ride was, yeah, just over 20,000 won. So for some reason, that area that we had, I initially blacked out in before I went on this fucking stupid adventure. Yeah. Uh, I got halfway home and then decided to jump off of a fucking building in the middle of some neighborhood. I had no idea. Yeah. That's Korea, man. That's Korea, man. That's just that's, <laughs> that's just one of those stories. Yeah, shit. Oh. My dad has a ton of stories like that. Oh, really? I clearly didn't have exciting enough 20s. <laughs> but, oh, well.
Maybe I'll make up for it in my 30s. <laughs> well, man, the 40s are actually working out pretty great for me. Yeah? Yeah. That's good, man. 41. 41. I'm, I'm loving it. Well, when did you turn 30, 41? <sighs> well, like like we all have had these birthdays in uh, April. In April, in quarantine. Uh, two quarantine birthdays. It looks like my partner's going to just escape the double. So, because things are opening up. So yeah, get to actually that's have fantastic. Friends. I mean, look at this. We're sitting in a, in a room, you and I, without a mask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm quite happy with this. Me too. Well, all right, let's, uh, let's leave these fine people alone and let's keep drinking. Right, right, the people. <laughs> yeah, fine so, people. Uh, yeah, thanks thanks so much for joining me. And yeah, um, that was that was fun, man. That was fun, yeah, that was, that was good. We had some highs and lows there. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, anytime.